BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Bill Press Pod. Well, we're now less than three weeks from D-Day, November 3rd, and while the polls look good for Joe Biden, we're also worried because we remember that they also looked good for Hillary Clinton at this point four years ago. So all of us locked in our own little bubbles, wherever we live, are wondering what's really going on out there. What are people really thinking? Where it matters in the Sun Belt and the Rust Belt? Today, we hook up with a man who knows. Jonathan Martin is national political correspondent for The New York Times. He's been on the road nonstop with both the Trump campaign and the Biden campaign. But he took out time today to join us on the Bill Press Pod. Jonathan Martin, good to see you, my friend. Been a long time. Thanks, Bill. All right. So you and I have been <laughs> running around the country following politics for a long time. Yep. You got to admit, we've never seen an election like this one, huh? Well, that's for sure. I mean... <laughs> The only uh, the only thing that, um, you know, we can't predict is what happens next. It reminds me of um, remember that that Donald Rumsfeld phrase that there, there, there's known unknowns and there's unknown unknowns. <laughs> right. Uh, we've had a lot of unknown unknowns happen, you know, and probably more to come, huh? For sure. Mm-hmm. So what do you see uh, as of today? Today, we're 20 days out. What do you see the state of play? Right now. And again, it could change. But how do you see it right now? I think President Trump is the most vulnerable incumbent president since 1992. Um, He has not had a lead in any battleground state uh, that he needs to win for months. Um, Even if you think that there is a sort of shy Trump effect in some of these surveys, it's not enough to get him. Uh, to win these states. It's only enough to get them to lose them more closely. And unless something dramatically changes in the next three weeks, um, he is the decided underdog going to election day. Are we making um, the same mistake we made in 2016 by assuming that? Uh, No, I think these are two very different elections, very different circumstances, very different um, uh, candidates. Uh, President Trump, I think, in 2016 was viewed as somebody who was not Hillary Clinton, and that was his overriding appeal to a lot of voters. <laughs> he was yeah, not, yeah. Uh, and I think people who uh, otherwise would not have supported him, but couldn't bring themselves to vote for Hillary and voted third party, are not going to vote third party this time around. It's important for your listeners if you go back and take five ten minutes, and if you look at the state by state returns in twenty sixteen, you will be surprised at just how many votes. If you add them up, the third-party candidates received state mm-hmm. by state. I'm going six to seven percent in some states. That's a lot of votes, especially in a close race. Right, right. That's and just not going to happen this time. It, right. You can see every survey makes clear people are making a binary choice. Right. Could Donald Trump still turn this around in the next twenty days? Yeah, I think it's possible because if this year's proven anything, it's that you know making sweeping predictions is, is you know a fool's errand. Uh, 
And yeah, I think it's certainly, I think it's certainly possible. Um, the challenge is that he would have to dramatically change his behavior. And there's nothing, Bill, in his history to indicate that he will change his behavior. In fact, it's the opposite. Yeah. Everything about Donald Trump indicates he's not going to change. And look, I can tell you from talking to voters, from, from looking at survey research, the biggest challenge with this president is his behavior. You know, we we did a story last week, my colleague Alex Burns and I, uh, about the Sun Belt. And you talk to voters, it's not the policies. They can't abide his behavior. And he's not going to change that. And if anything, the debate and his COVID diagnosis have made that challenge in particular even more daunting for him. Right. Uh, I was going to ask her about that next. So it was a great story in Saturday's New York Times Thank about – about the Sun Belt. And I mean, you know, you're you're on the ground, you're talking to these people, those of us living in the bubble in Washington don't always have that perspective. But I mean, you looked at some states which we all can have always considered red states, Arizona, right. Texas, Georgia, right. Florida, and you really see some change in those states. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. And, you know, having grown up in Virginia and having watched this happen in my own state, um, I'm not terribly surprised. Um, the power of demography, um, as, you know, Daniel Patrick Moynihan once said, uh, demography is destiny. Uh, and I think that in politics, there's some truth to that. Places like Virginia and Colorado, which because of the the vote shift of college-educated white voters uh, have become reliably blue states. And I think that you're seeing something like that increasingly happening in places like North Carolina, Georgia, and Arizona. It's taking longer. It's more complicated for a variety of reasons. But anywhere where you've got a coalition of college-educated white voters and non-white voters, uh, it's going to give Democrats a real advantage. And I think that's what's happening across the Sun Belt. Uh, Arizona in particular, you think, is uh, in play for Biden? Uh, I do. In fact, the two polls that we've taken at the New York Times, and I hope that your listeners will check this out. We put a lot of money into our own survey research this, this election. Unlike 2016, we're doing a lot of our own polling. And we've taken two polls of Arizona one in September, one in October, and they were basically the same, Bill. Um, Trump hmm. at about 40 percent in both polls. And I don't have to tell you, if you're an incumbent president and you're, you're at 40 percent uh, a <laughs> right. month out, uh, that's a warning sign. And um, so I think the president is in trouble there. And I think it's going to actually have a larger impact on the rest of the ticket uh, in that state, uh, where, by the way, the Trump era could have handed them two senators. It's possible that Arizona will go from the start of the, 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 the Trump era with two GOP senators and end it with two Democratic senators. And this is a state that has a long history of, of being a pretty Republican state. But again, demography, population mm -hmm. growth has really shaped Arizona. And um, it's all happening in and around Phoenix. And they just cannot stomach Trumpism. You and Kelly also talked about Georgia, and I. Since then, I saw that uh, on CNN, our yeah. friend, our friend John King said, I showed the battleground states, and the only battleground state where Donald Trump was winning was Georgia, and he was winning by one, one point. 
Yeah, and we've seen some private research that actually has him down in Georgia. Um, so I think it's a really competitive state. You know, what's fascinating, Bill, is I think it's hard for some Democrats to wrap their arms around the idea of Georgia and Texas being competitive. I yeah. think Democrats ha- have largely come to terms with Arizona being a kind of Virginia slash Colorado type state demographically, and they're playing hard in Arizona. I think it's harder for Democrats to understand what's happening in Georgia and Texas, um, because those states just have been so forbidding, and they have seemed so difficult to uh, to win. And I think this is partly the result of 2018. You know, Democrats won the Senate seat in Arizona in 2018. Kirsten Cinema beat Martha McSally. Mm-hmm. And the two marquee races in Georgia and Texas in 2018, Democrats fell short. Stacey Abrams narrowly lost the governorship, and Beto O'Rourke narrowly lost his challenge to Ted Cruz. And I think because they fell short in those two high-profile races, there's still a hesitation among Democrats to believe in Georgia and Texas. They, mm. they think that they're, they're competitive, that they are going to be more competitive in the years ahead. But I think there, there's worry that those are money pits where we're going to spend a lot of cash to get 47.5 or 48, and it's just not going to be worth it when all is said and done. That's what's fascinating in the course of my reporting is that, as 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 one person said, the biggest skeptics about Texas turning blue are Democrats. Um, <laughs> they're just not quite there yet. You know, it's been a long time, Jonathan. So 1976. <laughs> there you go. Um, among the other states, should Democrats? have any confidence at all in Florida. Um, That's the key state, isn't it? I mean, Donald Trump has to win Florida. Do you agree? I do. It's it's must win. Um, There's no question about it. Um, Yeah, I I think... uh, I think Florida remains difficult for Democrats because it's not it's not like a sort of North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, where you've got this sort of pretty straightforward story of um, increasing non-white vote share and uh, college-educated whites who are becoming more Democratic. It's more complicated for a lot of reasons that I won't go into today, but the, the two biggest ones are – more retirees coming into the state who are pretty conservative, one. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, increasing Hispanic uh, migration from Central and South America that is more sort of up for grabs politically, but they're not as Democratic as Hispanic voters are in other parts of the country. Right. Um, and I'm thinking in particular of folks from Colombia and Venezuela, for example, uh, who, who are not as conservative as sort of Cubans a generation ago, but they're not Puerto Rican voters either. They're they're not automatic liberals, you know. Mm -hmm. So Florida is more complicated for Democrats. It's definitely doable. And yes, it's the backbreaker for Trump. It just takes a lot of money and it's just not easy. There's a reason why the only Democrat to win that state in recent years has been Barack Obama on the national level. Right. So um, we're talking presidential, but I I just want to shift for a moment because while we're talking Sunbelt, The front page story, lead story in the New York Times Monday morning was Jamie Harrison in South Carolina raising $57 million in the last quarter against Lindsey Graham. I mean, wow, right? It's hard to comprehend that much money coming in a Senate race in a quarter, Um, but this is what Lindsey Graham has wrought. Um, 
by, you know, being one of the biggest, if not the biggest Trump lieutenants in the Congress. Uh, he has created um, a, a sort of movement nationally of Democrats who, Bill, effectively have made his defeat the second biggest priority of this year. Yep. Um, and that's what the race has become. Less about South Carolina, less about Jamie Harris, and more just about, you know, Democrats' the determination not just to beat Trump, but to defeat people that they see as his enablers, too. Right. Uh, and you, like I, must find it amusing when Lindsey Graham goes on national television and whines about Jamie Harrison having so much money and begs people to send him money, right? Yeah, I mean, it clearly shows that they recognize he's got to do something to stem the, the money flow uh, coming into Harrison. And, and I was going on Fox and openly asking for, for money uh, is one of the, the better ways to do that. So Sure, sure. So let's jump from the Sun Belt to the Rust yes. Belt. And there we're talking uh, states that Democrats used to win, and they lost them to Donald Trump in 2016. As we know, Pennsylvania, Michigan, yeah. Wisconsin. Uh, what do you see there? What are people telling you there? Well, we've got polling coming out this week in Michigan and Wisconsin that continues to indicate Biden's got an advantage in both states. Um, I think uh, those two states, and then you know uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and then Pennsylvania, are what tipped the election last time. But if you add, Bill, the combined. Uh, margin in the three states, it could not fill the capacity of the, of the <laughs> right. big house, the University right. of Michigan football stadium, to use a sort of local local reference point. Um, so I think it's going to be tough um, for Trump to hold those states because everything fell into place in 2016 for him to carry those states in the first place. And it's just going to be harder this time. And it's going to be harder uh, in large part because of his, his challenges with female and college-educated white voters. Um, you know, he didn't do great with those folks last time, but he's really tailed off this time around. And he's going to win working-class white voters again, but it's not going to be the margin that he had against Hillary Clinton four years ago. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be hard for him to hold those states. I, I think. Every time that I go to those places and I talk to voters, it becomes more and more clear um, that they were not voting for Trump so much in 16, Bill, but they were voting against not just Hillary Clinton. They were voting against the Clintons. And I think with that off the stage, I think it's just easier for them to vote for Biden to get rid of Trump. Um, and I, that's the recurring theme that I pick up talking to folks out there and um I just think Biden's an easier sell. You know, um, David Axelrod ha has made this point, right? He's culturally inconvenient for Donald Trump. He's an <laughs> older, white, Irish, Catholic, heterosexual male from Scranton, PA, originally. That's just tough to demagogue if you're Joe Biden, or if you're Donald Trump, you know? Yeah. He's tried it. But uh, it he hasn't has, worked. but yeah. it's a political bank shot, Bill. And bank shots in politics are always tougher, right? And anytime in politics you hear somebody say that the other guy is going to only carry water for somebody else, that the other guy is only going to be, uh, you know, a sort of stalking horse for somebody else, that's a giveaway that you don't have a clean shot in a political debate. When you're having to invoke your rival um, somehow uh, 
you know, helping the person see, and it's not an A versus B contest or attack, Bill, that's just a tougher, a tougher uh, line of attack politically, right? The easier, cleaner shot is attacking your opponent for right. problems that your opponent has. When you're attacking your opponent for problems that a third party has, it's just tougher. And, and, and by the way, I don't care what race that we're talking about. It can be this campaign or any other campaign. That's always more of a challenge for a candidate poll. Uh, Jonathan, you've mentioned demographics a couple of times. When, yeah. you look, when you look at the key demographic groups today, whether women or Latinos or African-Americans, um, white voters, white men, women, Donald Trump, I believe, only leads in one of those categories, right? White That's men? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, this is the, if you look at any polling bill and you just look at the, the cross tabs, yeah, you know, women, independents, moderates, um, college plus white voters, uh, suburban voters, uh, in a lot of cases, senior citizens. These are demographics where he's not just losing in some cases, but losing decisively. And I think it's just hard to win in America in 2020. Even with the Electoral College, if you are running to maximize a heavily male, non-college white base, that's just difficult. It, it, it's tough to do that and win election in this country. And this is the biggest mystery of Trump. Um, I shouldn't say mystery because it's, it's not surprising, but this was the biggest, I think, sort of um, miscalculation of, of Trump, that he could run for re-election without ever really doing anything to expand his base. Right. Every president, after they're elected, tries to expand their coalition to get more voters in, in the, the re-election Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. They all try. Well, this president never really tried. In fact, in a lot of cases, he did the opposite, right? All of the insults, the, the name-calling, the invective, the, he constantly did that. Nobody ever really told him that it was hurting him, or if they did, he didn't care. And that is what could spell his demise now, was his behavior. And again, it turned off the very people that he needed to add to his coalition. You know? Right. Uh, so before we take a break, let me ask you, what do you expect to happen on November 3rd? Or let me put it another way. How soon do you think we'll know the outcome? Will we know the evening of? Mm -hmm. I think it's very possible. I think if we have a really? clean Yeah. I, I think if we have a clean result on election night, which I think is possible. I think we'll know the results. Um, mm -hmm. And I think two states, North Carolina and Florida, are going to count their ballots by election day, including right. all of their, their mail-in ballots. I think if we see clear patterns in, in those states, and it's obvious that Biden's winning those two states, I think at 10 o'clock, there's just not much drama left, Bill. I mean, really? maybe Pennsylvania and Wisconsin are not going to have a call that night because they're still counting their ballots. But if at the end of the night, Biden has won North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, and maybe even Georgia, or even not Georgia, it's going to be obvious who won, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And then we'll see uh, <laughs> who accepts that and who does not. Jonathan Martin, yeah. our guest, national political correspondent for The New York Times. We'll take a quick break here on the Bill Press Spot and continue our conversation uh, about uh, 2020 with Jonathan Martin. 
And today's podcast is brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A, a real powerhouse in the American labor movement under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan, over half a million strong in construction work building America's infrastructure in the energy field, building solar panels, wind turbines, and pipelines, and among government workers, particularly healthcare workers. We salute the good members of the Laborers Union and invite you to check out their website at liuna, L-I-U-N-A dot org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back on the uh, Bill Press Pod. Jonathan Martin uh, at the New York Times, national political correspondent. Jonathan, how can follow pe- people follow you on Twitter? At jmartnyt, Bill. Thanks for the plug. There you go, at jmartnyt. So um, I want to ask you about a couple of the factors. As you mentioned, this is this race may be more about personality or behavior uh, than issues. But to what extent is the coronavirus a determining factor in uh, how people are feeling in 2020? What do you see? You know, I think I think it's shut off. I think it shut off any opportunity that the president had to, to probably mount a comeback um, because it took up everything, right? It, it became the dominating issue, Bill. For, for four years almost, this president has been able to change the subject, right? Yeah. Oftentimes it, it, it's not to his benefit because he's creating controversy, but he's always been able to change the subject on his, on his sort of uh, his whim. This is the one issue where no matter what he said or did, he was not going to change the subject, right? You cannot tweet away a global pandemic. Um, and I think he just couldn't stand the thought of it dominating the discourse. So he didn't take it seriously. And he, at every turn, has been hoping for a quick fix. It's going to go away by Easter. Uh, we're going to get a vaccine. Uh, it'll just go away by itself. Then. 
all of the, the things I just mentioned, the, the common thread there is somebody who just wanted this to go away. He didn't want to take it seriously. He wanted to move on. And even today, as he's gotten himself diagnosed with, with the virus, the, the overriding impulse is he still just wants to move on. How soon can I get back on the campaign trail? How can I uh, minimize this thing back to normal? And um, the country was not feeling the same way. The country did take it seriously. And the country was scared for, for you know, understandable reasons. And I think the biggest miscalculation in this virus, Bill, is his own party. The assumption that the Republicans wouldn't give a damn about taking precautions was just so misplaced. If you look at the polling, you can see this. Um, Republicans took, took this more seriously than their own president. We had a survey last month, Bill, that asked people, would you support a national mask mandate in the cases where you can't socially distance? And that question, for a national mask mandate, we found that 40%, 4-0, of Republicans supported a national mask mandate. And so he just was totally at odds with a chunk of his party on this issue. And so I think it, it blocked off his, his, his path to a political recovery. And then he didn't take it seriously in a way where he could have shown kind of transcendent leadership that maybe would have changed people's minds about him. And then he got it himself because he was so cavalier about it. So I think it, it has really been a significant challenge for him uh, on a lot of levels. And I think, Bill, if Trump does lose this election, I think it's possible that we'll look back on the second week in March as the decisive moment of this race. In fact, you can almost go back to the day, which is uh, uh, March 11th, the day before Biden won the Michigan primary overwhelmingly against Bernie Sanders, effectively claiming the, the a nomination at that point. Mm -hmm. That was also the day, it was a Wednesday, that Trump addressed the country from, from the Oval Office. Uh, the NBA canceled its season. Tom Hanks said he had COVID. And I think that day, or that week at least, it became clear that Biden was a sort of, for a lot of voters, an inoffensive consensus-minded moderate, was going to be the nominee, and Trump was not going to be able to run on the economy. And I think once it became clear that, that Trump could not run against Bernie and he couldn't run on the economy, um, those two twin pillars that he was really relying his reelection on both collapsed in one fell swoop that week. And I think at that point, it became very difficult for Trump. Right. Uh, and I would just add that then coming, uh, if in fact he has come out of COVID, which his doctor says he has, uh, he still hasn't changed his message. It's like he didn't learn anything. He's just doubled down. It's not a problem. It's just it's disappearing. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. So one other factor uh, in presidential campaigns, we always look for the debates and think that debates are going to change. So well, we've had one debate. We may or may not have another um, debate's going to be a factor this year? I Yeah, but not for the reasons that the president would have hoped, I don't think. I mean, I think, you know, he probably had one last chance to make a second impression, um, to borrow uh, a phrase from a commercial. Um, <laughs> and I think it was probably at that first debate uh, at the end of September. And not just did he not prompt folks to reconsider his candidacy, he probably alienated more voters uh, in that debate because of his conduct. I just, again, I'm a broken record here, but 
so much of this election is about the presidential behavior or lack thereof. And he just was never able to conduct himself in a way that a majority of the country could tolerate. And I think that first debate, if he does lose, will prove to be the, um, the, the you know, proverbial icing on the cake, right? He demonstrated mm-hmm. to about 80 million viewers at home that he was not acting like a president, that he still, four years later, was not conducting himself in a way that they expected of a president. And I think it, it just turned more people off. Well, and one other thing that this week, of course, uh, the confirmation hearings begin uh, for Amy Coney Barrett right. uh, for the Supreme Court. A lot of Republicans are thinking this is going to be the issue. This is what is what people are going to focus on now, not the coronavirus. Uh, and this is going to turn things around for the Republican Party. Do you see that happening? Um, I think it could have more impact on the Senate races than the presidential Mm-hmm. Um, especially if Democrats misplay their hand, which is uh, always possible, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> because they're no. Democrats. Um, uh, and so I think, yeah, most Republican hope is that the Democrats walk into the trap that they overreach, they make her a more sympathetic figure, that, that they come off as hostile to her, to her faith, to her family, to her personally. And that's going to help them a lot 2018 with uh, with Kavanaugh. Uh, and it's possible. I mean, look, who the heck knows? Again, to come back to the start of our chat, I mean, this is an election where it, it, it's folly to sort of guess what, uh, what's going to happen. So I think it's definitely possible. I just think the story of this election, uh, has been clear from the start, is Donald J. Trump. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take a lot to change that. Right. Uh, how important is vote by mail uh, in 2020? More important than ever because of COVID? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have moved to vote by mail because of the pandemic. And if you look at the polling, Democrats especially in a lot of states are going to vote by mail. Uh, I think it's less than it would have been three months ago because mm-hmm. people are concerned about the mail, concerned about the ballots. And if they can, they're going to vote early uh, in person. But there's still going to be millions of people voting voting by mail. And so I think it's important, um, especially for, for Democrats, because they're turning to this more than Republicans are, because the Republicans have been scared off from doing it because of President Trump's near daily tweets invading against mail ballots, um, which, by the way, could be um, self-fulfilling for him in some ways. Because if you are doing that and you are pushing all of your your core voters to vote on Election Day, that's a bit of a risk, though, especially given the resurgence of the virus in some states. If you're betting that you can you can sort of come back on Election Day with all your people showing up to the polls and voting in person on Election Day, you're risking the unknown of where the virus is. Uh, that first Tuesday in November, and especially given the fact that the Republican base is, is sort of heavier on older voters, are they yeah. all going to show up uh, on Election Day in some of these states where the virus is resurgent? I think it's a big gamble. And by the way, the irony, especially in Florida and Arizona, it's the Republicans who mastered vote by mail. In the, it's <laughs> Absolutely. Thing. I mean, yeah. They're the ones who have built built strong coalitions in those states by running turnout programs aimed at getting people to vote by mail. You know, Florida especially, it's been mystifying to Republicans down there, including figures like Jeb Bush, who say, that's what we do. That's our thing. And now for Trump to kind of demagogue voting by mail uh, is just self-defeating for them. 
Uh, I have to tell you, just a personal aside, when I was Democratic state chair of California, no, we knew that the Republicans were better than we were oh. at vote by mail. And we expected and knew that the absentee ballot vote would always be heavy Republican. And we it was always their thing. That's right. Yeah. Always their thing. Uh, and finally, I want to ask you, so um, this will air on a Tuesday um, and uh, the night before Donald Trump will have given his first post-COVID yeah. rally in Florida. Uh, he he really believes that these rallies are his ticket. I ask you, how effective are these rallies for his supporters in terms of, again, of expanding his base and adding votes? Well, they're not very effective in terms of adding votes. I think they're effective in terms of getting people in a certain location fired up about his campaign. But those are people he, he already had. Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, if you look at this week's schedule, Pence and Trump, every state that they're going to is a state that they won four years ago. They are entirely on defense in the closing stretch of the campaign. Um, and they're, they're not trying to find new voters or new persuasion. It's all mobilization, Bill. They're entirely focused on uh, getting his voters out instead of trying to find new voters. And again, that has been the fallacy for, for a four years now, this idea that you can just sort of stir up your base and uh, and win again. And I think that's what they're doing. And I think it's it's um, the poll suggests that <laughs> there's not much wisdom in doing that. Right. Uh, do you think Democrats take back the Senate? Today, they have a good shot at doing it. They probably are going to have to net, net four seats. And I think today that's certainly possible. I was talking to a, a Republican over the weekend who made the point of, look, it's easy to see how Democrats get three seats. A little harder to see how they get four. But in politics, when the tide is going away from you and there's a bunch of different states up for grabs, you always kind of know that one or two of those states are probably going to flip. And that's the problem the Republicans have is it's easy to see Maine, Arizona, and Colorado flipping. It's a little harder to see North Carolina, Iowa, Montana, Kansas, Alaska, Georgia flipping. But of those that I just mentioned at the end, you have to think that one of them or two of them are also going to flip. That's just what happens, especially in wave-style years. Seats move en masse. Jonathan Martin. Uh, three weeks ago, maybe anything could happen, but a great look at where we are right now. Uh, you're a busy man, and so good of you to take time out for us yeah. today. Thanks, Thank Jonathan. Enjoy. All right. Talk to you again soon. And that's it for today's podcast with Jonathan Martin from The New York Times. Thanks so much for joining us. And thank you in advance for subscribing to The Bill Press Pod, if you haven't already done so, by pulling up The Bill Press Pod, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and clicking on subscribe. Uh, and follow me on Twitter as well, at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That's it for this edition of The Bill Press Pod. Stay safe. Stay strong. Stay sane, if possible, and come back and join us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.